0: We are finally here. Episode number one of the early read 2023 college football season had on Kelly Ford at K Ford ratings on Twitter to break down the ACC dish out a bunch of actual information across the conference who we like more Clemson or Florida State, a handful of win totals, a lot of great stuff in there. Pump for you guys to hear it. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, giving five stars. It's the early read episode number one. What's up, guys? Welcome to Early Read, episode number one of the 2023 college football season. Really pumped to get into this. We're doing the ACC season preview today, and we come out guns blazing with our first guest. It's Kelly Ford at KFordRatings on Twitter. You can follow all of his work at KFordRatings.com. He's the co-host of the We Hate Your Team podcast, Kelly Some of the sleekest graphics you could find any team in college football at this point. He's been posting them all week long, getting you set with schedules, power ratings, projected win totals, everything you need. Kelly's got you, so make sure you give him a follow. Kelly, appreciate you coming on. How's it going, man?
1: It's going well, Reed. I appreciate the kind words. And yeah, it's a pleasure to join you. This will be fun talking some ACC football today. But yeah, college football can't get here soon enough. I recently added a countdown on my website. People kept asking for the tweets every day. How many days left? I said, you know what? I'll still tweet it, but putting it on the website too. Can't get here soon enough. We're about 51 days away.
0: I love it. And so I want to go back though, before we do AC, kind of the origin of these power ratings and these graphics, I just... How did you get started in this? Are you just a passionate college football fan that always was into the data visualization? Where did it come from?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I've definitely always been a passionate college football fan. College football has always been my favorite sport for as long as I can remember. And I've also always had a knack and an interest with math and with numbers. So my mom is a high school math teacher, embedded that in me at an early age, my undergrad degrees in mechanical engineering. So definitely used a lot of the math, science Probability, statistics, all of that stuff. And I've been a big fan of college football power ratings and predictive analytics for quite some time now. And Bill Connolly at SP Plus and Brian Formo of FEI, those were really the two pioneers, the two godfathers in my mind. So for a long time, I followed their work, kept up with how they viewed college football and how they contextualized it and eventually decided, you know what, I want to jump into this space myself. And so I've done that recently, modeling their approach and adding my own unique flavor and twist to different things. But that's basically the nuts and bolts of it, trying to figure out how are we going to power rate college football teams moving forward. And then, as you said, using those power ratings to generate resume rankings, win totals, game projections, all sorts of stuff. The the graphics piece is newer. So join Twitter in 2019 and was posting some of the ratings work that I had and all that, and it was good. I was getting to meet some good people and getting some good traction, but I learned quickly that people very <laughs> much are drawn towards visuals and they like to see pretty pictures. And so, I said, All right, I'm doing all this work to produce the ratings, I'd like people to be able to enjoy it in the manner in which they seem to want to enjoy it, and that would be through visual- visualization. I started doing that about two years ago, I guess now, and it's grown a little bit ever since. And I've gotten to the point where now I'm putting the stuff up on the website at kforwardratings.com so people can go back and reference it anytime they want instead of just hoping to see it flash across their feed when I post it on Twitter.
0: Yeah, you're late to the Twitter game. I've been on Twitter for probably a decade now and as we're talking with like thread starting and stuff, like I I can't leave Twitter. Like, this is it is ingrained in me whether it's like the hate posting and everyone like you this is part of me. So you're late to the game and yeah, as you said, they people like to see pretty pictures and also yell at the pretty pictures about their team and everything else. You do the god's work here where it comes to just posting all these different I seriously can't speak enough. I'm looking at them right now just different teams their projected win probability of each game, looking at it, where their schedule ranks amongst others. And as we go through these teams, we're going to say, we may like this team, but when you look from a win total perspective, their schedule may just be too difficult for them to hit what the market projects for them going forward. So we're going to get into that in a little bit here, but you're talking about your background stuff and, was your initial sense to be in the sports betting space? Did you, is that something you maybe realized after the fact once you started doing these power ratings and stuff? It's, oh, there's actually maybe a sports betting application to these power ratings.
1: Yeah, so the power ratings themselves are not sports betting driven. Yeah. That was never the point. So I actually work in college athletics. I'm a associate commissioner at the Horizon League, which is a Division One conference office. We don't sponsor football, so many people don't know about us, but we sponsor 19 sports and men's, women's basketball, get a lot of publicity in our league. Because I'm a college athletics administrator, I can't bet on any sports related contests If it's a sport that the NCAA sponsors, of course, the NCAA does sponsor football. So I'm not allowed to bet anything. I can talk about the numbers and what my numbers say and all that stuff, but I don't myself place any bets. I never have since I started doing this. Again, the origin of the ratings was not to, it was not to exploit betting lines and try to make best bets and all that. I did when I started out provide, hey, here are the games where my projected spread is greater than three points away from the Vegas spread. And it was the 2019 season when I started doing that, when I joined Twitter and went public with the ratings, they performed very well. It was like 69% against the spread in those games. Out of games. control. Yeah, <laughs> it was phenomenal. And it was unsustainable as we saw in the 2020 season. It was funny. 2019 was like incredible. And then 2020, it was the COVID year. Everything was so weird. The best bets, if you will, did not mm. do nearly as well. But I'm not in the betting game. I'm. That's not where my interests are. I understand that people try to use my numbers for betting and do use my numbers for betting. And that's fine. I actually publish them now on the zero to 100 scale, as opposed to a points per game scale with the intent of trying to stay away from the betting and not have people use it explicitly for that. But I understand that's where the interest is. That's where people find value in it. And that's fine. And again, I post projected lines for every single game now, and I'll update them every single week. And people can use those as they will. And I'm, that's the way it goes. But yeah, if I'm ever not working in college athletics, maybe that'll be something that I, Mm -hmm. that I venture into, but at this time, betting sports betting was not the primary driver, but it is definitely an application that some people use with the numbers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such an interesting way because you see all these people who want to even whether it's power ratings, resume ratings, Bill Connolly, I don't believe his intention either was at the beginning, he was just trying to find what's the most effective way to judge these college football teams. And then sports betting caught on to that and now that's just how this whole world has driven towards and i think it's as someone who creates his own power ratings i i like to apply my own qualitative i i like to watch the games as many do but i like to blend my numbers and i'm not a mechanical engineer i don't have necessarily the background in this i do it my own way and then i apply my qualitative sense to it and try to find the perfect medium between both but i think it's good practice for anyone who's whether you're interested in talking about college football, betting on college football, whatever it is, find a power rating, whether it's 0 to 100 or any sort of rating. Mine is much smaller than that. It doesn't go 0 to 100. But I think that is a really good way to find the difference between two teams. It doesn't have to be sports betting related just to do that. So before we start talking ACC, last question I had for you was your preseason projection. You said 2019 was awesome from a betting perspective. But have you noticed with the rise in the transfer portal, have you been – Maybe less able to grasp. Have there been more blind spots like a USC last year was your numbers preseason able to capture the transfer for lack of a better term, the transferness of USC and a team like that was built all through the portal pretty much. Not fully,
1: no. So specifically to USC last year, I had pro- they ended up getting 11 wins in the regular season. I'm looking at their realistic expectation chart on the website right now. Looks like I had projected 2.7 less than that. So what is that? 8.3 8. wins is what I projected USC regular season last year. They ended up getting 11. So they that plus 2.7 was what they were one of my biggest overachievers in 2022. Mm-hmm. And Colorado is going to be a good case this year to try to figure out what they're all about with the number of transfers they've had. I will say that the increased usage of the transfer portal, plus the one-time free transfer that we now have in football by the NCAA new legislation within the last year or two. Additionally, the COVID year, extra year of eligibility, the NCAA granting everyone from the fall 2020 season an additional year of eligibility so that you're not counting. All of those things put together have made calculating accurate returning production much more difficult because I'm just trying to figure out where are all these student athletes where did they come out of on the transfer portal on the other side did they come out and then trying to rescale the production that they had at this level of school now they're going to this level or they're going the other way how do we scale that production appropriately that's been the biggest that's been the biggest learning curve and the biggest add to my workload in recent years was the returning production piece i think The transfers, they're eventually going to settle. They're going to find their level a little bit. We saw a bunch because of the one-time free transfer, because of the free COVID year, all that stuff. That's all going to settle out eventually, and it'll be a little bit easier. And we'll have more data as to how do teams that construct their rosters primarily through the transfer portal actually perform. I had questions last year about USC. They were bringing in all these fancy pieces, especially on offense. Are they going to fit together? And I wasn't sold, but certainly they did. And so now we're seeing it with Colorado to an even greater extent. And we'll continue to see teams that choose to build through the transfer portal versus those that continue to try to build through high school recruiting with supplementing then through the transfer portal at areas of needs. It hasn't made it, quote, more difficult to project. I don't think it's added a little bit of uncertainty and just more work in the returning production.
0: Yeah, I would say as someone who was anti-USC last year, they overachieved for sure. I don't know if they really deserve that 11 win total just by watching the games again, like that quality. Like I, I watched the game, the fumble lock, the turnover margins. I just, I don't know if they really deserve that record, but I will say it, it brings the tails into play much more. High variance totals where you don't know how it's going to mix because there's not that continuity, but you're also, in your USC's case, you're bringing in Caleb Williams, you're bringing in Jordan Addison, future first round and now current first round picks, Heisman winners, all that stuff. You're going to have a lot of talent there. It's more, do you have the coaching staff to make it work. I think it's trial bearer. And again, to me, my biggest takeaway in the early stage of the transfer portal, this new age of it is just, there's more tails increase and you're going to see maybe more variance amongst teams where you might have a better gauge on those bands of win totals with a team that has 80% returning production on both sides of the ball and you know it's a more known quantity in my opinion but great stuff on the back end there kelly let's talk acc now i have your numbers up i have some odds up i have some win totals up we're gonna i'm gonna go from the top here and to me i think you could for my i believe how the acc is gonna be power rated here is in three different groups in my opinion, I would maybe go four different groups. Looking at, these are Kelly's ratings here, and correct me if I'm wrong. I pulled them from your site, so I'm pretty sure I'm right. But for your power ratings, you have Clemson 7th overall with a 95.7. And for reference, Kelly, like he said, he does 0 to 100 as his power ratings. Georgia, for reference, number one, of course, 99.6. And there are 14 teams inside of 90. So that's your elite group, if I'm not putting words in your mouth, but about 14 teams or so above 90. Clemson and Florida State are the only two that are. Clemson is seventh overall. Florida State is 10th. Then you got UNC 22nd, Miami 35th, Pitt 37th, Louisville 39th, NC State 40th, Syracuse 47th, Wake 48th, Duke 51st, Vod Tech 67th, Georgia Tech 74th, Boston College 78th, and Virginia 86th. So to me, just looking at these numbers, you have Clemson Florida State to cut above everyone. The odds reflect that they agree. Then it's your UNC through Duke as a very big cluster. And we'll get into this in a little bit. To me, I would maybe split that into two. And then you have your bottom of the barrel of Tech, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and Virginia. So let's take it back to the top here. Clemson and Florida State. Clemson, down year. Everybody knows about it. DJU doesn't work out. The homegrown coordinators aren't working out. They still win the ACC. They won – Eight ACC championships since 2011. This team is still probably talent-wise the best team on paper. Maybe Florida State could give them a run this year, but Dabo Sweeney didn't rest on his laurels of an ACC championship last year. Went out and signed probably the best coordinator, young coordinator on the market in Garrett Riley from TCU. He built the juggernaut that went to the national championship game. So Clemson, they're coming back now with Cade Klubnik, highly tower recruit, revamped offense hopefully with a returning offensive line kelly let's start with clemson though how did you treat this offseason and is this a team that looks like they're coming back on the upswing or is this really the start of a downward trend and maybe the acc is going to go through some changes here
1: yeah clemson's an interesting team for me and you really set the stage well there reed for me i'm looking at what's their recent history so if we go back to 2015 year-end power rating ranking For Clemson, 2015, they finished the year in my power ratings fourth. 2016, they were second. 2017, fifth. 2018, they were first. One of the best college football teams of all time by my numbers in 2018. That was a phenomenal team that blew out Alabama in the national championship game. 2019, third. 2020, second. 2021, ninth. 2022, tenth. Now they come into this year at seventh. So from 2015 to 2020, Clemson never finished the year any lower than fifth in my power ratings. 2021, they were ninth. 22, they were tenth. This year, they're coming in at seventh. So I do think it's reasonable to say they might have comes in has in the last three or three years taken a slight step back, but they are very much still among. The powers in college football, especially in the AC, which has been for the last decade, one of the weaker conferences. If you take out Clemson itself, as well as then Florida State, going back to the end of the Jimbo Fisher era there about a decade ago. So this is very much still a team to be reckoned with. Like I said, they're seventh in my power ratings. I have this a top 10 defense, a top 25 offense. I think Kate Klubnik should have gotten the nod a lot sooner than he did at his career here in Clemson. I'm excited to see what he can do at quarterback for them. And they have a schedule that is not overly difficult. It's the 42nd mm-hmm. most difficult schedule in all of college football, which when there's 69 power five teams, you're in the you're in the easier half of power five schedules. So my numbers like Clemson in every single game they play. They're two closest projected games right now. Clemson is minus four. At home in week four against Florida State, by my numbers, that's a 62% win probability. And then minus five and a half in week 10, again, at home against Notre Dame, it's a 66% win probability. So Clemson's two most difficult games, by my numbers, are both at home. I think that's going to make a big difference. I've got a 65% chance to win at least 10 plus games this year with a 9% chance to go 12-0 and in the regular season. My numbers are giving Clemson the benefit of the doubt. There's been a slight backslide, but still with regard to the ACC hierarchy, this is the team to beat by my numbers
0: yeah and I think the Cade Clubnick DJU debate was so it was up in the air all year and they finally they go to Clubnick he ends up in the Notre Dame game and that was a disaster gets I believe it was like two interceptions in the second half they never stood a chance and then Klein's bearings AC championship looks good but again he's playing North Carolina whose defense was one of the worst in the power five so I don't know how much you could rate that but you look at what Garrett Riley did with TCU last year and completely exploded on offense. I don't know if Clemson necessarily has the weapons that TCU has or had from last year. You have Shipley back at running back. The offensive line is top 15 in continuity, so I think that is a good starter here. You have Clubnick with some guys he practiced with last year, guys he played with last year. They're, I, they have four or five starters back. Future pro and McFadden did leave on the offensive line at left tackle, but pretty much everyone's back. And wide receiver, I guess, is still the question. There's no Quinn and Johnson for sure, but Antonio Williams, he got time as a freshman. Can Bo Collins stay on the field and become that threat? Noble Johnson was an early enrollee as a freshman in the spring. Maybe he makes an impact early on one of the higher recruits at Clemson. And then at tight end, every single sort of preview, they're talking about Jake Brinningstool and Banks Pope, pair sophomore tight end. So there are weapons there, and... You know, I'm bullish on the offense. I think Cade Klubnick showed talent enough. And with Riley and the way we saw him operate the offense last year at TCU, I think that there's some cause for upside here for the Clemson offense. Like you said, the defense, we know what this defense could do year in and year out. This has never been the issue. If there was an issue last year, I'd say the explosive pass defense in the secondary was tested a little bit more than up front, but this pass rush, even without Brent Venables, was still going to be fantastic. They do lose two surefire pros in the first round in miles murphy and brian breeze xavier thomas is a six year senior can he stay on the field and make an impact tyler davis and peter woods also wants to watch on the defensive line there's proven depth no one necessarily in that star role but i think this defense especially with the young guys playing in the secondary last year can really take a step forward and this defense could rise back to that elite stature defense was good last year but i think for clemson's type especially that brent venables it definitely took a step back but i think That was more of a slight step back rather than a we have a real issue here without Brent Venables. And, Kelly, you mentioned the schedule. To me, and we're going to get into Florida State in a second, but this opens up much better for Clemson, in my opinion, than it does for Florida State. You mentioned Florida State, they come to Death Valley, so that's a start right there in what is essentially an AC title preview. They host Notre Dame, who I'm not as high on in the first place. And then their two toughest road games, in my opinion, They do come in back-to-back weeks, but they do have a bye beforehand at Miami, at NC State in the middle of October. I would say those are their two toughest road games. And then they finish the season at South Carolina. Like you said, they're going to be favored in every single game this year. So it's a matter of, can Garrett Riley get this offense on track to avoid those lapses on offense, and can Clemson rise to the top? I know I rambled there, but anything else more on the qualitative analysis of Clemson before we move on to Florida State?
1: No, that was fantastic. I'd say keep that. You mentioned it at the end. Keep your eye on the finale there at South Carolina too. Of course, the Gamecocks got it done at Clemson last year. So Clemson's going to have that one circled for sure. But if that's a night game, that can make it all the more difficult for Clemson going to their rival South Carolina at the end of the year. But agree with you at Miami, at NC State, at South Carolina, all three tough games on the road. But they'll be favored in each of them, as we said.
0: Yeah, I just think the schedule, especially you're talking futures. Clemson to win the ACC, it's not a div- it's not division anymore. It is the top two teams. I think Clemson definitely has the inside track to at least be in the ACC title game again across Florida State. The odds have bounced back and forth between the two at the top as Florida State is the hype train. But to me, Clemson has the inside track. And you're talking Heisman Trophy. I think you have to put Cade Klubnick in that, maybe not the Caleb Williams tier, but I would probably put him ahead of the Drake Mays and maybe even the Jordan Travis's. If Clemson's able to run through this schedule, Cade Clubnick's going to be a, a finalist in New York in the high. And that's just how it works. You're going to be undefeated, have these high profile wins against the likes of Florida State, Miami, NC State, Notre Dame, even South Carolina on the road, North Carolina as well at the end of the season. Clubnick with Riley, that is a recipe where the upside is there to win the Heisman. Definitely something I have my eye on is backing Clemson to win the ACC and Clubnick to win Heisman. Haven't placed it yet, but I, that is where. As I think more about this ACC, that's where I see this going. I do think that this is going to be a bounce-back year for Clemson. Let's move on to Florida State, though, because this is a team that probably has the most hype, I'd say, heading into the season. Top five in returning production across the board. This was a team that was fantastic last season. Jordan Travis definitely took a leap. They went 11-2 last year, won their bowl game against Oklahoma, notched a blowout win at Miami. They beat the rival, Florida, who was down. One at NC State, who is a hype train, played tight with Clemson last year. This is a team that, of course, started their year with a thrilling win against LSU. Jordan Travis, Heisman Buzz, bring back Jared Verse on the defense side of the ball, potential first-round pick, maybe even first defensive player off the board if he has a good year this year. Kelly, I'll lead with you. You have them, I wouldn't say neck and neck, pretty close with Clemson. You have this as pretty much a toss-up, slight edge to Clemson, but are you buying the hype on the Knowles heading into this season? Yeah, I will say
1: with every update of the numbers that I do, I am buying more and more of Florida State. It was a team that my most recent, prior to my most recent update, I had them power rate number 14. They're now power rated number 10. They just continue to climb. I really do what this team is bringing back. You mentioned the outstanding returning production being supplemented with some good recruiting and getting better and better in the recent K Ford ratings too, which is going to be important for your preseason rating. With regard to this team during the season, Projected ACC conference wins for me, Clemson at 6.5, Florida State at 6.4. So it really is neck and neck. There's a big drop after that to 5.1 for me at North Carolina and Louisville, both at 5.1. So like you said, Clemson, Florida State, definitely the two favorites. For me, I'm looking at this Florida State schedule. First, this could be the best Florida State team we've seen in more than a decade. I mean, since Jameis Winston was there, potentially, that's what this team could be. But we're going to find out very early. You mentioned week one. They have a neutral site game against LSU. Of course, last year they got it done in New Orleans. This year it's in Orlando. So now it's in their backyard. My numbers currently like LSU in that game by about three and a half. Um, It'll be very interesting to see if Florida State's able to get the win there. If they do, watch out because they could really be rolling. Of course, you got Southern Miss and Boston College after that. You'd expect Florida State to take care of business. That week four game at Clemson, we already talked about, that's a huge game. And the winner of that game to me, for all intents and purposes, is basically in the ACC championship game at that point because you've got the tiebreaker on your biggest biggest threat, and now you can really afford to lose twice down the stretch, assuming things play out as we expect, which they never do, but as we relatively expect. (laughs) So that game's going to be huge. And then after that, Florida State is not going to be favored by any fewer than six in any game all year. I've got the game at Florida. Florida State minus six right now. Outside of that, there's not a single other game on the schedule after week four at Clemson where they're not favored by more than a touchdown. So if Florida State can get through the first four weeks at three and one or better – This team absolutely is in play for not just an ACC championship, but a potential college football playoff berth. I have them power rated number 10, as you said. They're top 20 in both offense and defense. The schedule's a little bit more difficult than Clemson's, due mainly to the game against LSU to start the year, as we talked about. But I'm really excited about this Florida State team. Like I said, could be the best team they've seen in Tallahassee in more than a decade.
0: Yeah, I think... The Florida State team, last time we've said this, the Florida State team is more proven than this Clemson team, in my opinion, where you look at Florida State last year, top 10 in yards per play, top 15 in line yards. You look across the board, this was an elite offense last year, top 15 in success rate, not a lot of term, turnovers from Travis. He really matured as the season went on, The and the offense really picked it up down the stretch. And then the defense was also rock solid as well last year, averaged allowing less than two points per drive, one of the ten team, one of the top fifteen teams in yards per play on defense, allowed less than five yards per play. So this defense was unbelievable. Like I said, bring back Jared Verse, Fabian Love it as well on the defensive line. But really, this is going to be the offense here. If this Florida State team is going to go to the college playoff, to me, the offense is going to be why. And Jordan Travis is going to play like a Heisman. Bring back Johnny Wilson. They do lose some offensive line play, but they also brought in three transfers: one from Colorado, one from UTEP, and Keandre Jones from Auburn. Also hit the portal and got Keon Coleman from Michigan State, one of the highly touted spring transfers. After Michigan State had a mass exodus, and while they lose on Ward to Kansas State, they keep bring back Benson, who averaged over six yards a carry overall. Eight starters back in the offense should be. There's no reason why this offense can't be top ten again, and the defense should as well. So there's a lot of upside here in terms of like betting deliverables. I don't have as much here because, like you said, the schedule slightly more difficult. I think. You look at November 4th at Pitt could be maybe a dicey spot traveling to potentially cold weather pit, but they have Miami at home. I still think Florida is in the middle of this rebuild under Billy Napier. So I think it may take a little bit more again, though, the tie goes to Clemson though, because the Tigers play at home against Florida state. And that's the only reason why I do expect though, there's an ACC title rematch though, between these two in December, maybe with a spot in the college world playoff on the line. I mean, that ACC hasn't really had that opportunity in God knows how long. There's a lot of hype there for Florida state drop off though, for me. So I want to talk about this middle group before we talk about any of them. Like I mentioned before, it was UNC Miami Pitt, Louisville NC state Syracuse, wake and Duke. So seven teams, you could probably based on your ratings, Kelly squeeze them into one group, but I actually see them as two groups. I would, in my opinion, put UNC, Miami, Pitt, Louisville, and NC State all in the same group, and then a slight drop off to Syracuse, Wake, and Duke. I That's how at least I would grade these teams out based on ceiling, proven commodities. How do you see the middle of the AC? Is there one team you're maybe looking at a little bit more favorably than others? Maybe you're one team down on based on your numbers. How do you see it playing out?
1: No, that's exactly how I'd split them up to their read. And I'm looking really the way I'll differentiate is I'm looking at projected ACC conference win totals. We talked about Clemson, Florida state, they're at the top, but then after them, there's a drop-off North Carolina, Louisville, both at 5.1. Now North Carolina is a much better team in my power ratings than Louisville, but Louisville has a much more favorable schedule. Louisville is the only team in the entire country that plays fewer than four true road games this year. Only three true road games for the Cardinals this year. They do have a couple. Is it one? or two as i look here they have two neutral site games, one against Georgia Tech to open the year, one against Indiana, but only three true road games for Louisville at NC State, at Pitt, and at Miami. Other than that, they're going to be in Louisville. So that's why they're up there with North Carolina at the 5.1 projected conference wins. Pitt at 4.6, Miami at 4.2, NC State at 4.1. That's where I draw my line as well. I got Syracuse and Wake Forest at 3.5, Duke at 3, and then even Virginia Tech at 2.8, not far behind Duke, even though they are power rated a bit lower than Duke. So I draw the line right where you did, too. Out of that whole group, North Carolina. They're, yes, they're the best power-rated team out of that kind of secondary group, if you will, or tertiary. If we're including the bottom of that half, they're mm-hmm. also they also have one of the more favorable schedules out of that group as well. So if I'm looking at NC, or North Carolina's schedule, it's the ninth easiest in the conference of fourteen. So it's on the easier half. They're aggregate combined opposing offenses that they're facing so if you look at every single offense that they're facing and average them combine them together it's only the 49th most difficult collection of FBS offenses that North Carolina is facing so they're not facing a ton of juggernauts which is good because I have some concerns about this North Carolina defense I currently have not power rated that unit that side of the ball at 64th nationally so they're very average FBS defense now they do have to play the 15th most difficult collection of FBS opposing defenses, but their offense is a top 15 unit, of course, led by Drake May. And we talked about his hopes for potentially a Heisman this year, if they're able to win enough games. And speaking of winning games, there's only one game that I have North Carolina right now projected as an underdog all year. And that's in week 12, they have to go to Clemson and I have that as a 12 point game right now. So only about a 20% chance for North Carolina to win that one, but every other game on their schedule, My numbers currently favor North Carolina. Closest ones being favored by one at Pitt, favored by two at NC State, favored by six at home against Miami, three and a half to open the year against South Carolina in a non-conference game at a neutral site. So that's why if there's going to be a team outside of Clemson and Florida State who I think could maybe crash that ACC title game, it would be North Carolina, and they miss Florida State. So I mean, that, that helps them as well in the regular season. The game at Clemson will be tough, but outside of that, North Carolina has it in front of them to go get. The defense is not great, but the offense is really good, especially by ACC standards. I've got it with about a 44% chance to win nine plus games this year. We could see them match or maybe exceed last year's regular season win total.
0: Yeah, I think it's fascinating because we talk about that second group and UNC and Louisville, and I could talk about them both together because Louisville, of course, brings in Jeff Brom to be the new head coach, and he brings back Jack Plummer, who was at Purdue, transferred to Cal. Now he's back with his former head coach. Oh, really? Taking all the Purdue guys, yeah. Okay, Jeff. So we we have some extensive knowledge here with (laughs) Purdue. So we can talk about Jeff Brown because it's funny. I know I'm supposed to say North Carolina and Louisville, especially with their schedule, they're supposed to be the tier two, probably in their own, just based on their schedule. But there's just so many holes, like a pick in both of these teams that I just can't really back them from like a preseason standpoint. Again, this is where I like to blend in like my qualitative thought on the team. Like you you mentioned, the defense, just terrible. I know with some of the ratings and how they blend together, but from just a pure success rate standpoint, last year, North Carolina, bottom 15 in success rate allowed, bottom 15 in red zone, defensive allowed, bottom 15 in sacks, bottom... 115th in yards per play allowed allowed nearly three points per drive this north carolina defense was a sieve i mean they let up 60 plus points to appalachian state i know app state ends up being a good offense but still you can't be letting up 60 plus points to app state that was a wild um, game though
1: App, yeah. App the start of App State <laughs> season last year, that the Texas A&M game in there too.
0: It was wild week in, week out for App State, North Carolina. Yeah, the Troy, the Troy Hail Mary as well, yep. which that threw the Sun Belt in Flux for a little bit. You look at North Carolina, just bottom of the barrel where it comes to every defense, and you want to talk about a team that should make a run to the ACC title game. I think they benefited from the division structure. To me, you just can't trust a team like that week in, week out, even with Drake May. Under center, I just I can't trust that. So North Carolina, to me, I'm not going to be on. Obviously, a lot to like with the offense, but that's just not a team I could trust. For Louisville, I believe Louisville's kind of everyone's preseason has been on that, especially from a win total perspective. Teams have been, people have just been steaming them up. But Jack Plummer isn't very good. Like I understand that it's exciting that Jeff Brom is here, and he's was a damn good coach. At Purdue, I went to Wisconsin, so I'm familiar with Mm -hmm. Purdue and how Brahm made it work at Purdue. But just Louisville, to me, they lose a lot on the defensive line, which was, to me, the anchor of this unit. Louisville, where were they? They were second in the country in total sacks, 12th in tackles for loss, third in turnovers gained, and top 50 in success rate. So the team, a lot of havoc-driven plays. They were able to get into the backfield with ease, maybe not as great down to down. They really benefited from generating all turnovers, red zone defense. Those are things that are a little fluky year to year and can maybe come back to bite you. I know people like Jack Plummer and he's likely going to be a starter, but I just, I can't get behind Louisville because I feel like the, it's out on them. Everyone knows a wind total is up to eight and a half. I understand that. I just, I feel like Plummer's a little limited and he caps the upside where while the team is going to be favored in plenty of games, you still have to go at NC State. Never easy. They do play Notre Dame at home. That's benefit there. At Pitt in a three weeks stretch, so that's a little tricky. They go at Miami and then they play Kentucky. Those five games to me might be those swing games that could determine a season. I'm just not as high on this Louisville team as a whole. Braum, I think needs to find the right quarterback. I know he thinks. I'm not going to doubt Jeff Braun, but he thinks Plummer is kind of the answer because he has experience in the system. But I just think he's a little too limited, really struggled in the PAC 12 last year, which is uh, maybe Kelly, you could speak to this, but worse on defense as a whole. I know the weapons at Cal are much more limited, but I'm just not as sold on this team with Plummer under quarterback. Maybe I now can't pull up the backup quarterback. Potentially. I believe it was now. I can't pull it up or it was potentially Brock Dorman. I, I believe he transferred, but Can't pull up the back of quarterback, but I just, I'm not as high on Plummer as other people seem to be. Based on your Purdue history, how do you feel about Jack Plummer?
1: No, listen, there's a reason he transferred out, right? And had an okay level of success at Cal, which again, take that with what it is, playing in the Pac-12 and playing at a program like Cal. Now you're at your third institution, getting reunited with Brom, there's something to like there, but No, for me, the reason I like Louisville, the reason I have Louisville where I do in the projections is because of the schedule. And they have, by my Mm -hmm. numbers, the second easiest schedule of any Power Five team in the entire country. Only Boston College has an easier schedule by Power Five standards than Louisville. This, to me, is all about the schedule. I already said, I already mentioned there's only three true road games. You got two neutral sites, the rest at home. Louisville could very easily start the year. Five and oh, you're gonna you're probably gonna beat Georgia Tech, you're probably gonna beat Murray State, Indiana at a neutral site, Boston College at home. If you can go on the road and win at NC State, Louisville's team, it could be five and oh. Now that's when they start to face some team, they got Notre Dame after that, they go to Pitt, they got a bye, then it's Duke, Virginia Tech, Virginia. Those are gonna be three games they're favored in before finishing at Miami and Kentucky. So when you're looking at that schedule. If you put North Carolina or Florida state or Clemson up there, you're thinking we got a real chance to go 12 and 0 here. We're not thinking that because it's Louisville. And because the talent level at Louisville is not quite up there yet. We'll see what Brown's able to do. He is Louisville through and through. That's where he played. That's where his family's from. And people at Purdue knew one day he's going to go. He stayed at Purdue for a long time and did a great job there and no hard feelings from the Purdue side on that. But this Louisville team is still their power rated number 39. So, if they had just an average schedule, that win total, you mentioned it's up to eight and a half. That's that, that's steep. I'd probably make it around eight, 28% chance to win nine plus games for Louisville for me, but I projecting on average 7.6. So I'd probably make it closer to eight, but uh, yeah, it's totally schedule driven for me.
0: Yeah, I have no play, especially because of the schedule on an underplay on North Carolina or Louisville. It just teams I'm not as sold as the market may be. Some teams I am sold on though, Pitt. This was one of my first win total plays of the year. I personally liked the move Gang. Phil Dracovic, repairing him with Signetti. You look back at 2020, I know it was the COVID year, but that was the last time the Signetti left BC to take the pit OC job. But Dracovic that year, 61% completion percentage, 17 to 5 touchdown interception ratio, average over seven yards per pass. Carved up that this pit team that this had been a strong defense for several years under Ken Narduzzi. Pat Arduzzi, sorry. 350-plus yards in that game, 28 points against a top-ranked Clemson team. If Signetti could unlock that Dracovic and he could be healthy, I think Pitt has the potential. I know the schedule isn't as favorable as someone like Louisville or North Carolina, but Pitt, to me, is a team that I think is being slept on. Win total now is at seven, so maybe a little bit too far ahead. I was able to get six and a half. uh, This was one of my first win total plays, but Pitt, to me... I think there's room to go. I think eight is more likely than six, to be honest. I think you could still probably place a cheap seven, but this defense has been top 25 for the past several years now. They lose a pro in Elijah Cansey, but David Green's going to step in. He had three and a half sacks last year. Several linebackers like Kamara and Simons are back there. Secondary has been fantastic with Devonshire, Williams, and Woods all coming back. They combine for 12 interceptions. They bring in McIntyre and McMillan from Florida as transfers, so... This looks like a new defense because they lose guys like Kansi, but I think that Pitt, to me, they should be, like, pure talent-wise, better than North Carolina and Louisville. Just I think that this offense has a little bit more to go with your COVID-level, untapped potential. What do you see about Pitt this year, Kelly?
1: Yeah, I think they're slightly better than Louisville. I, I probably have UNC, uh, UNC still above them, but I think they're better than Louisville. I love that you got the win total at six and a half. I've got a 65% chance of seven plus wins for Pitt. So 65% chance you're going to win that one. So that, that was a great play by you, by my numbers. Thank you. Again, s- schedule-wise for Pitt, it's not the most daunting in the world. And that's going to be a theme for the ACC schedules that, that we're talking about today. But if we're looking at the games in which Pitt is currently an underdog by my numbers, underdog by one or at, or excuse me, at home to North Carolina, 12 at Notre Dame, eight and a half at home to Florida State, and that's it. Only three games that my numbers are currently viewing Pitt as the underdog. Now there are some close ones. You favored by three at West Virginia, yeah. three and a half Louisville, one Wake Forest, three and a half Syracuse, one and a half Duke. So there's a lot of toss-up games. But if they can just go 500 in those toss-up games and win the games that they're supposed to, maybe pull an upset, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to get over that six and a half for you, especially, and it's even creeping up, you said. Yeah, Pitt, to me, is a solid team. Top 40 in the country, power-rated-wise, around 40th in offense and defense. I think they're very balanced. This is a team that... Not going to be nearly as good as they were in 2021, but definitely on par with where they were in 2020 and then as well last year in 2022, which is still better than they had been for the three, four, five years before the COVID season. So I think Narduzzi is doing a great job. Also, Jakovic coming in too, and it should be a really successful year by Pitt standards for Pittsburgh this year, I would think.
0: Yeah, I think last year... Especially with Keaton Slovis coming in. The win total was eight and a half last year. So they were this was the Kenny Pickett layover. I think the expectation was too high last year. I think I'm not a Keaton Slovis guy to begin with. So I was down on this team going into last year, but I like Dracovic a lot. I think there remember this is two years ago. People were talking about him like a first-round pick. So I like a bounce back here and I like Pitt. Seven, you get a little dicey if you can find a cheap seven if you're looking for action, but six and a half to minus one fifty is where I would play it up to let's talk about Miami though. Cause this is one I'm not as I don't have as much of an opinion here. I feel confident pit. I feel strong that North Carolina Louisville might be a little overrated Miami though. Still not sure where to figure this team out. I do hire of Dawson from Houston as a new offensive coordinator. It's year two for Cristobal. cleared house, brought in more of his guys. This is more now his team. The defense, I like how they brought in Goodry. He was just at Marshall. He's been around forever. One of the later hires, but I really like that one. The schedule's pretty interesting. They host Texas AM. and m Obviously, last year, they lose that one. To me, that's one that could maybe determine both teams' season right there. I know it's only week two, but it feels like those are one of those early season games where you pivot. It's You're on a fast track to an AC title game, or you're having another down year in Coral Gables. So, Kelly, I'll start with you. Where do you see Miami this year is a bounce back and Tyler Van Dyke get that hype train going again? How do you see it going?
1: Yeah. So, the context, the background here for Miami is last year, I projected 8.8 wins for the Hurricanes in Crystal Ball's first year. Of course, they only won five regular season games. That minus 3.8 differential was the absolute worst in all of college football. <laughs> Miami was my biggest underachiever in 2022. Many people point to a team that they played, Texas A&M. Texas A&M actually, they finished in the bottom 10 on that list for me, but Miami was number one, biggest underachiever. So last year coming into the year, I projected 8.8. This year I'm projecting 7.3. I still think Cristobal is the guy. He went to Miami. He knows South Florida. He's a great recruiter. We saw that at Oregon. He's going to get things turned around. I think there were more issues in that Miami locker room than I realized last season, last preseason. And I think more than Mario Cristobal realized when he took the job 18 months ago, hopefully those have all been ironed out and we've got everyone rowing in the same direction there in that locker room. But to me, Miami's still not quite on that same level as, of course, Florida State or Clemson, but really even North Carolina in that next tier right now. So I think Miami's going to get there. I think the future is very bright for this program. However, this year, not probably not going to be it in terms of competing for large postseason aspirations. I do expect it to be a bounce back, though. Miami mm. finished last year power-rated number 70. That's the worst Miami had been in more than a decade. I've got them coming into this year power-rated number 35. So I think the defense is the stronger of the two units. That offense... We'll have to see because they do face the ninth most difficult collection of opposing defenses this year. So that offense will be tested. But I do think Miami's probably got enough to make it a decent season, a 72 percent chance to win seven plus games, 45 percent chance to win eight plus. So right there around eight wins is probably what we're looking at. You mentioned the schedule. Texas AM, see him as an underdog in that at North Carolina, home to Clemson at NC State, at Florida State. They've got to play all the big teams in the ACC, the contenders in the ACC, with North Carolina and Florida State on the road. So that's going to be difficult, but I think long-term, Miami will be just fine. I just think this year they'll improve on last year's win total, but it might not be where Miami fans want to be under Mario Cristobal.
0: Yeah, I think I like what Cristobal did this year, bringing in Chan Dawson, like I said, from Houston, more of a quick strike offense. I feel like that's going to play more to Tyler Van Dyke's strengths, but also, he was banged up last year. This offensive line should be moving up in the ranks. Zion Nelson is going to be healthy. They bring in some blue chip recruits, bringing Javon Cohen from Bama. Also got Matt Lee from UCF, two five star signed in the recruiting class. So I think you're going to start to see Van Dyke get some more protection, also get the ball out faster. They're going to need to find a run game somewhere. But I think that this offense should be a little bit better in the defense. The secondary was a big problem. I and mean, you look, this was a team that was. Bottom 15 and explosive pass defense made a lot of havoc-driven plays. Top 15 in havoc, top top 20 in turnovers, gains. Secondary is a bigger issue in my opinion. Got into the backfield plenty. 37 sacks last year, but just the explosive plays. They need to be more disciplined. And I think with Goodry there coming over from Marshall, I think that could maybe be, uh, in my opinion, a big step forward for this defense in year two at Balls. No play for me here. I do find myself maybe game to game. I'm going to be interested in backing Miami as an underdog, but. In terms of preseason, I think this is a team that's going to be moving forward rather than backward after last year, the bottom falling out. NC State, I feel strongly here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a lead here. This is probably my favorite win total I've played this entire preseason. It's the Brennan Armstrong Robert and I reunion here from Charlottesville. This was a team that the last time that offensive coordinator and I and Brennan Armstrong, the quarterback from Virginia, were together. In 2021, the team was eighth in s p plus offensive rating. So this is a top 10 offense when they were last together. They're now back. Armstrong fell off in the great rebuild in Virginia. Now they're back together. I personally don't see that crazy of a college football difference between Devin Leary and Brennan Armstrong when you account for the offensive play calling change. So I'm very bullish on this NC State offense. The weapons aren't there like a Florida State or even a North Carolina but there's enough here with Armstrong's legs to really make it work. And you look at Tony Gibson, since taking over full-time, this has been in the 94th percentile of defensive SP. and I know there's not a lot back, but this 3-3-5 system is a proven commodity in the ACC. So I trust both coordinators to run the offense and run the defense correctly. And I like enough talent here with Armstrong there. And on defense, Peyton Wilson back for his sixth year, as well as Betty and Scott. Savion Jackson's back on the line. He missed all of last season with a knee injury. So I like where this defense is at. And I think at six and a half, this NCC team with their schedule, the I think, in my opinion, could crash the AC party, in my opinion. I think that this is – last year, everyone was talking like them, like they were the AC contenders, and they had their bubble burst. But I think this is the year, the post-hype sleeper team, in my opinion. I love NC State this year.
1: I like getting them at six over six and a half. I got a 65% chance to win seven plus games. So I like that. I'm probably not quite as high on the offense as you. I'm currently projecting them 70th in the country. Now they're bringing in new pieces, right? And so mm. numbers are going to be slower to react to that. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end the season better than the 70th rated offense. I probably expect that out of a power five team like NC State, who as recently as 2021 was a top 20 power rated team. So Right now, that's where I have them, and that's even tempering the expectations then for the, the game win probabilities. So I might like that over six and a half even more than the stated 65%. But yeah, the schedule is not super difficult. You're going to be underdogs against Notre Dame. I currently have it as a pick 'em at Duke, which might surprise some people, but that's a week seven game. Could be a tricky one for NC State. They got to play Clemson at home and then also North Carolina to end the year as well. They avoid Florida State, so that's good. You get Clemson and North Carolina at home. I don't think there's enough there for them to crash that ACC party, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to pick up an extra win over what we were expecting, just given the potential that the offense has to exceed expectations.
0: Yeah, I, I like the numbers may not cook in like that reunion that I mentioned that, oh, we have Robert and I and Brennan Armstrong back like this. Uh, the, the offense has some upside that the numbers may not be catching up to. And when you're talking preseason predictions, people like you need to, because everybody's gonna have their numbers and everything. You need to try and find some, Edges like that, where you have a nine Armstrong back together. And I also like that their toughest games are at home. They're in Raleigh. Like you just said, Notre Dame, Clemson, Miami, Clemson's off a bye. Anyway, North Carolina at home in the season finale, those are big games and they're all at Raleigh. So I I think North Carolina state, if there's one team that could really overachieve expectation and get to eight, nine wins to me, it's North Carolina state with a mix of the schedule and the upside on offense. So I'm glad we see eye to eye there. The only other, so from our third group, we have Syracuse, Wake Forest, and Duke. And the team I have the most to say about is the Blue Devils. They had a great season last year. Breakout campaign out of Mike Elko, one of the biggest overachievers, probably in recent memory. I love this Duke team. I now hate this Duke team. I'm I'm off the wagon for the Blue Devils. I think that we talked about USC earlier, maybe some fortuitous bounces go their way. Duke was second in turnover margin last year. And I know they bring a lot back with Riley Leonard and a lot of key contributors on the defense, but this schedule is a bear. They played seven one-score games last year. I just think the expectation has changed a lot where Duke is now expected to be comfortably in bowl eligibility one year after being expected to win three or so games. So this is a big jump in class for Duke. And I think with their schedule, they're going to come crashing back down to earth. Kelly, how do you see it?
1: Yeah, I'll just add to that. So you mentioned probably one of the biggest overachievers. They were my number two biggest overachiever (laughs) last year, winning 4.6 more games than I expected in the preseason. Only TCU had a better year relative to expectations than Duke by my numbers last year. I hear you on the one-score game. I hear you on the turnover luck. I also got you on the the schedule. It's the second most difficult schedule in the ACC. It's number 32 nationally. They got to play Clemson. They have to play Notre Dame. They have to go on the road to Florida State and North Carolina. They're playing all the most difficult teams in the conference, plus you're getting Notre Dame. It's going to be difficult. I still, though, have this team. They're power rated around number 50, looking at 5.8 wins, 59% chance to go bowling. So I still think bowling would be a good year for them. Six wins would be good. Last year they had eight, as we talked about. Six would be really good for this team. I think they're maybe slightly... Worse from a power rating standpoint than last year. Not a lot, but slightly worse. Certainly, they're significantly improved from where they were 2019 through 2021, though. 2020 and 2021, this Duke team finished the year power rated number 102 and number 114. And then last year, they just shot out of nowhere and finished number 47 in my power rating. So to be number 51, I think Duke fans should be pretty happy with that. And they should be hoping that the turnover luck doesn't regress too hard to the mean there, because they certainly had a lot of it on their side last year.
0: Yeah, I think absolutely all great points. I think to me, six and a half minus one fifty is good. I even played some six minus one twenty. I just think there could be some harsh regression here. And you mentioned the schedule at Virginia; that's supposed to be a gimme, but you're on the road. You never know. It's a conference game. It also comes after a rivalry game at North Carolina. Uh, at UConn, they should win. They should should win three non-con games. And then after that, one likely favored game in Wake. When it's all said and done, maybe a coin flip against NC state off the buy, but it's not easy for the blue devils. That was another one I played under and we'll recap this all at the end. Kelly, I have less to say where it comes to Syracuse and Wake Forest. So we could go maybe a little bit more rapid fire as we head towards the bottom of the conference, but let's talk cues here. I just, I think that there's a lot going on here where you're bringing in Rocky long as the DC and you know, that three, three, five is NC state runs the same thing. So maybe teams are a little bit more, fine-tuned to it, but Rocky Long is the godfather of the defense. Do you see the Syracuse defense keeping it steady enough where this team can go bowling once again, or is there going to be too much turnover here losing Sean Tucker to really keep up with it? Syracuse defense, this was a top 30 unit in the country last year, allowed less than five yards per play. I was on them a ton. Really great at eliminating explosive plays. Can they keep it up with some ch- with some key players out?
1: Yeah, I think bowling's in the cards for Syracuse. I've got an 81% chance of that happening, projecting 6.7 wins for the Qs. Their defense is top 40 for me still. The offense around 60 in the country. To me, my eyes are immediately drawn to their schedule weeks five through seven. They got Clemson at home, then they go on the road to North Carolina and on the road to Florida State. And that's a brutal stretch <laughs> where you're, you're likely going to go 0-3. Maybe you can pick one up, and if you do, then I love your chances to go bowling given the rest of the schedule. But it's going to be... Can we bounce back after that? So, I expect them to maybe go three and one, could be four and oh, going into the Clems game. If they can go to Purdue and, and win a game, Purdue's going to have revenge on their mind after the way that game went last year at Syracuse. But three and one, four and oh, going into that, you're probably going to lose three in a row. Then you're going to get a bye, and then you would finish the year at Virginia Tech, home to Boston College, neutral site versus Pitt, I think at Yankee Stadium, at Georgia Tech, and then home to Wake Forest. You're going to have to get at least two, most likely three games out of that, Out of those last five. Can you bounce back after what's probably going to be a really tough three-game stretch, recover on that bye week, and then come out guns blazing for the home stretch? I think Syracuse can do it this year. I'm not going to pick them to win eight games or anything. But this is a team, I think, six, seven wins is definitely doable, I think.
0: Yeah, the offense— I, this is an above-average unit. bulletins about both Syracuse had a great year last year, and I just wonder if they could keep it up with a nigh like we just said, going back to North Carolina State. They lose Sean Tucker, of course, but they do bring back wide receiver Granderson. He had almost a 1,000 yards, had the game winner, I believe it was him, against Purdue in that crazy game. Schrader back at quarterback. I just wonder, can that offensive line take a step forward? Several guys are out anyway, so maybe it's new faces help out, but this was a team that was bottom 10 in terms of sacks allowed. So Schrader's got to be protected more. No real opinion here, Syracuse. Six feels like a really likely number. Wake obviously lose Sam Hartman to Notre Dame. I believe it's going to be Mitch Griffiths. I haven't seen anything firm on that, but they lose A.T. Perry at wide receiver, bring back Donovan. Is is this Wake team, the defense has been the real concern here. Defense hasn't been able to stop anybody, especially explosive passes. Can Wake's defense keep them alive here to go bowling? Or is this kind of the first year in a while where Wake is going to, be one of the punching bags of the ACC. Yeah, my numbers think Wake likely starts the year 4 0, go into a buying
1: week five. And then after that, you got Bridget Heck on the road. But other than that, you're looking at a pick 'em or worse in every single game. As things stand right now, capped off by a trip to Notre Dame. Talk about insult to injury. Sam Hartman yeah. transfers Notre Dame. Now you got to go play him at his new home in week 12 there. I do think they'll go bowling, 69% chance to get six plus wins by my numbers. This is a poor defense, as you said, 75th nationally by my numbers right now. You gotta think that they're gonna get a couple of these toss-up games. Virginia Tech, minus three and a half, Pitt plus one, Duke, plus two, Pickham versus NC State, plus two and a half at Syracuse. If you win two of those games, coupled with your first four that you're hoping you're winning against Elon Vanderbilt, Old Dominion, Georgia Tech, then you're bowling. I do think that they'll get it, they'll do enough, and it'll probably be just enough. And yeah, this is a team now that's starting to maybe slide back towards where they have been historically after experiencing really great success, especially by Wake Forest standards, from the COVID year in 2020 through 2022, never finishing the year power rated any lower in my rating set than number 40, which is just great by Wake Forest standards. Probably regressing a little bit towards the program historical average, but I still think bowling is there for Wake Forest this year.
0: Yeah, again, this is a team I just... Can't really get a feel, especially with the quarterback questions. You just don't really know where they are going to wake. But this offense has become kind of a product here. And we'll see if it can hold up in the ACC, and maybe play spoiler for some of those teams at the top. Virginia Tech, this was a full tear down here last year. The offense just brutal across the board. defense defensive guy, anyways, but this offense was absolutely brutal you're looking 119th in yards per play 118th in success rate couldn't run the ball the running back malachi thomas was hurt all year the offensive line was a disaster they bring back grant wells from marshall Struggled with the jump and this year pry as a kind of insurance policy got drones from baylor to play quarterback more of a dual threat maybe he ends up getting time if this keeps going in the wrong direction ollie jennings from old dominion he's a stud wide receiver he could help out and maybe stretch the field a little bit but yeah. There's not much to like here with Virginia Tech. This is still in the rebuilding stage after Justin Puente really fell apart here. Kelly, any, at five, I think they'd be happy, stunned, thrilled to go bowling, in my opinion. I just think this Virginia Tech team is still probably a year away from being where they want to be.
1: Yeah, I'm projecting five wins for Virginia Tech. 37% chance to go bowling, so not likely. This kind of sums it up for me. Virginia Tech has the third easiest Power 5 schedule in football this year. Ahead of It's only more difficult than Boston College and Louisville. And even with that Virginia tech by my numbers right now is only favored in two games at home to old Dominion to start the year and on the road at Virginia to end the year. So despite having the third easiest power five schedule, they're only favored in two games. So there's going to be some toss-ups in there and they might be able to pick a few of those up. We're expecting that with a projected win total of five, but it's going to be tough this year in Blacksburg for sure.
0: Yeah. Still on the comeback. And I just, yeah, I I don't really know what's going to happen at quarterback. If they go to drones, I would be maybe more intrigued in like mid-season kind of changing my stance on them because I do think drones could open some things up, but this offense is just really gonna it's gonna take a few years I think to really get who they want in there. The one team I want to mention though, and you mentioned them earlier, Boston College because this is one I had written down as I haven't played a win total yet. I kind of want to play on them. To me, the sell is this is probably it for Jeff Halfley. So if it doesn't work this year. He's probably getting canned. They went three and nine last year. We mentioned Phil Dracovic. He was all banged up, and the offensive line was one of the worst in the power five. Bottom 10 across the board when it comes to sack rate, yards per play. It was a disaster. They averaged less than 18 points per game. They bring Emmett Moorhead is likely going to be the starter sophomore. He got some time last year, 10 to 6 touchdown and interception ratio. Rob Chunutsky, he's going to take over as the OC. I the schedule, though, is just so easy. Like, how do they not go bowling? Morehead's a big kid. He's six five. Maybe he can make some plays. They get Ryan O'Keefe from UCF. He's a burner in the portal. I just think bring back the running back Garwo. I just think that they have to take a step forward because the defense wasn't great, obviously, but it kept them afloat. If the offense just is like average, then this defense might be able to make this team go bowling. Kelly with the easy, so it is the easiest schedule in the Power Five.
1: Yeah, those are all my salient points. Boston College won three games last year. Because of this schedule, I have a 98% chance, or sorry, a 92% chance that they exceed those X, that last year's win total and win at least four games. And it's not because this team is significantly better. They are, they are going to be better than they were last year, but it's the schedule. It's the easiest schedule in all of Power 5, 69th most difficult in the country. They face on average, the average opponent ranking, uh, offensive opponent that they face, the collection of opponents on the offensive side of the ball, 82nd in the country. So there are many group of five teams who, on average, play more difficult offenses week in and week out than Boston College is going to. They're going to be favored against NIU, Holy Cross, Virginia, UConn, probably Virginia Tech. That's five games right there where you're going to be favored. They also got a game against Army in there. I have that as a pick right now, right there. If you win the games that you're favorite in and have a pick them, you're bowl eligible right there. And we know they won't win all those, but it's possible they could win a game at Georgia Tech, three and a half point underdog. Miami to end the year. If Miami has, if things have gone off the rails for Miami, and now they got to go up <laughs> to Boston happen. on the last week of the season. They could lose that game to Boston College. So it's there to be had. I have it as a 50-50 chance to go bowling. And it's not because I expect this team to be great. It's because the schedule is really that easy.
0: Yeah, the defense, like I said, it was not great, but it wasn't as, ba- a three, as bad as a 3-9 team. This was bad because the offense couldn't get going. There were games where they scored three against UConn, 15 against Wake Forest, whose defense isn't anything to call home about. Lose 22-21 to Rutgers. and the defense, they have some good transfers coming in. Kari Johnson from Arkansas. Going with, I'm going to butcher this name, but Uzurukia. He had eight and a half sacks last year on the defensive line. So they're, Michigan transferring Greg Rooks coming in. So there, there's upside here on the defense. Hopefully he takes that forward. It's going to come down to if Moorhead can lead this offense to be just passable. If the offense is national average, they got to go bowling. They just have to. The schedule's too easy. I think I'm going to talk myself into taking a shot on this. I just think the offensive line needs to just be better. And look, they didn't have Christian Mahogany last year. He missed all of last year. He's going to be back. People have been talking about him as a first round pick. They hit the portal for two transfers, one being from Virginia, which may not be calling home, but listen, it's bringing in some imports, which is all you could ask for. Maybe Halfley's just lost the locker room and he's eventually going to be fired, but this has to be the year for Boston college to take a step forward. It just has to be. So yeah, so there's Boston college. I'm going to give that one up, but Looking at the rest of the EC, let's talk about Georgia Tech here. I think last year my under win total was cooked because my opinion was Jeff Collins was going to be fired after the season, and he ends up getting canned midseason and leads over, res- and they end up resurging forward, and they end up going over their win total. Win total's at 4.5 now. Haynes King is in from AM and Zach Pyron, who was a freshman who got time last year, is also in. I imagine it's going to be Haynes King. Uh, Kelly, how do you see it going for the Yellow Jackets this year? It's the most
1: difficult schedule in the ACC, by my numbers, yeah. largely due to, of course, Georgia Tech plays Georgia every year. So to close the year, 31-point underdog at home to Georgia, by my numbers right now. So this is the top 25 most difficult schedule in the country. You've got Clemson on the road. you got North Carolina at home. Games that Georgia Tech's favored in, you've got South Carolina State, FCS team week two. You got Bowling Green in week five and Boston College in week eight outside of that my numbers aren't favoring georgia tech in any singular game so while i think this georgia tech team will be better than they were last year they finished last year power rated 84 and you like you said they surged the second half of the year now i have them power rated 74 coming into this year still going to be too much to ask though i to go bowling only a 20 chance so i think they're maybe trending in the right direction i'll be curious to see what's the ceiling though for georgia tech here um in terms of moving forward, where are they in the hierarchy of the of the ACC? A couple games where I think they can get the win, but all in all, this is defense top 50. The offense going to struggle by my numbers, 87th nationally. So a difficult schedule coupled with a below average team for the conference means there could be some losses this year for Georgia Tech.
0: Yeah, I think the defense also benefited somehow. Top 10 in turnovers gained. Again, that's something that tends to be fickle and goes in and out. They do lose Keon White to the NFL. Going to be leading on some transfers like Andre White and Braylon Oliver on the defensive line. I just think it. I don't like Haynes King to begin with. So if you're counting on the defensive the defense to hold you on, probably not going to spell that great. This Georgia Tech team really lacked any sort of upside. The offensive line was terrible. And I think this is still going to be a long term plan. So again, maybe Georgia Tech is better game to game being competitive and they're not catching three touchdowns in ACC play every week. But from a win total standpoint, I don't have a strong opinion there. I'd probably lean under. Honestly, last one man in the rear 201 to win the AC. It is your Virginia Cavaliers. This team went through a complete rebuild quarterback play this year is going to definitely take a step back after Armstrong right now. at The top of the depth chart is a mammoth transfer. I've written down his musket. I didn't even write down his first name. It's going to be a step back for sure. Can Elliott get this offense on track, though, where it can maybe fight and win four games? The defense wasn't really the issue. It was the offense. Who The offensive line was one of the worst in the country.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's a bigger discrepancy between offensive talent and defensive talent yeah. in the AC than for Virginia. By my numbers, it's a top 25 defensive unit nationally, and it's a bottom 10 in all of FBS unit nationally on the offensive side of the ball. Now, again, it's going to be a lot of new. So m- numbers may be slow to to catch up to all of that. But th- there's not a lot of good I can say about Virginia in 2023. I like them by 12 and a half against William and Mary, an FCS program in week six. And outside <laughs> of that, we got two pick them games against James Madison and Georgia Tech, both at home but they will be underdogs in every other game by my numbers as things stand. So looking at 3.9 wins on average, 2.3 in conference, likely to finish last in the ACC by my numbers. Their most likely record at the end of the year, four and eight followed by three and nine, and then an outside chance five and seven. So it's going to be tough. I think this year for Virginia, going to be probably even a little worse than they were last year, as we talked about, and it wasn't great to begin with. So, not a whole lot to say about Virginia. Hopefully they can get on the right track and move them back in the right direction, but 2023 could be a tough one.
0: Yeah, the defense doesn't bring a ton back, but top 30 in sacks allowed less than two points per drive, And the offense was dismal, and that's with a stud quarterback and Brent Armstrong. That just shows how far this offense fell off in such a quick time when the likes of Bronco Mendenhall and Robert and I left. Outside the top 100 in yards per play, points per drive, success rate, you name it. This offense was terrible, and now they're leaning on what looks to be Tony Musket, uh, Mama Transfer, or Jay Wolfork. This is a complete teardown on the offense. I just, I don't know how you're that excited about this Virginia team right now. And maybe Tony Elliott gets the thing on track faster, and maybe this team overachieves this year and gets it going, but it's going to be tricky to see. So, yeah, we just ripped through the entire ACC, and I think about an hour, maybe a little less. So I tried to make this as quick and painless as possible. So in terms of, for me, actionable bets that I'm on, I believe Pitt at anything to minus one fifty at six and a half is good. NC State minus one fifty six and a half, that's a go. And if you want to even look at some alternate win totals on NC State, I'm good with that. Duke under six and a half to minus one forty five and six minus one twenty, that's good. And we'll do it on the show. Boston College over five and a half. The goal, the Golden Eagles are going to go bowling this year in Chestnut Hill, so I'll take over five and a half there. And we'll see how we feel about Clemson. Kelly, is there anything else you want to mention that we maybe glossed over you want to harp on?
1: No, I think that was really fun, Reed. We went in-depth on the AC. Uh, And you say you're a Wisconsin guy. I went to Purdue, so more Big Ten roots. So this was fun. Don't usually get to dive into the ACC at this level. It was a really good time. I really appreciate it. Like we talked about, Clemson and Florida State, definitely going to be your favorites. Maybe a North Carolina or a Louisville can sneak in there. A North Carolina with the talent, Louisville with the easy schedule. Outside of that, probably be a real dark horse to make the ACC championship game. And then at the bottom even with easy schedules, Boston College, not a great team, but could go bowling as we talked about. Virginia's in for herding. So it'll be really fun. I can't wait. The AC has been one of the more stable conferences with regard to conference realignment because those grant of rights are out through 2036 right now. We'll see which institution's lawyers take a crack at that first. But for now, we know who's in the ACC and I appreciate that as, a, as someone who's in the space. So this has been a lot of fun, man.
0: Absolutely. And you could follow him on Twitter at KFordRatings. Check out all of his graphics. Everything we just talked about, he has graphics for it on his website, kfordratings.com. You can listen to him at the We Hate Your Team podcast. Make sure you give Kelly a follow everywhere. His work is invaluable to the space. Whether you just love college football, you like betting on it, whatever it is, Kelly's your guy. And I'm Reed Wallach at Reed Wallach on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribing to the early read. Make sure you're liking, reviewing, all that good stuff. We have a big college football season ahead of you. A lot of conference previews coming your way the next month. So appreciate it. Kelly, this was great, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Reed.